Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 113 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is It's All in Your Head, an interview with Rachel Roller. My name is Richard Johansson. And I'm Matt Sabatello. So, Matt, during many of our interviews, we've heard folks say they hate when people tell them it's all in their head, the implication being that you're not really sick. But this interview actually turned that saying on its head because Rachel Roller actually shared with us that the end of her Lyme disease journey required her to recognize that she had to heal her head in order to complete the healing process. Rich, what really fascinating me about Rachel's interview is the fact that she had to heal from Lyme first and deal with the Lyme disease. Then she had to rebuild her immune system, but the final piece of the puzzle was addressing her mind. And the way she described it was she had to reset these Lyme loops or these pain loops or this illness loop in her brain. And once she was able to do that using techniques like DNRS, she was able to reach almost remission in a very short period of time. So Matt, I'm excited to welcome the gal who has changed the words, it's all in your head from taboo to healing. Hey, Rachel, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we're really blessed to have you, Rachel. And uh, Matt and I have been really excited to interview you all during the course of this week. So uh, finally, the time has arrived when Rachel Roller is going to share her story with our audience. So thank you for doing that. Thank you guys so much. I'm really excited to share this with everyone because I feel like it's something that we just need to talk about more. So Rachel, let's talk about your background. Where are you from? I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah. And what kind of a childhood did you have in Salt Lake City? So I grew up being very active. I was always skiing, playing soccer. I played soccer since I was about six years old. Did gymnastics, basketball. I was always really active. I have two younger sisters. Um, so I did a lot of stuff with them growing up. And um, yeah, I grew up playing sports mostly and doing academic stuff with school. So when you were a little girl and you were coming up in Utah, uh, what was your vision for your future? So for a long time, I always wanted to go into somewhere in the science field. Um, when I was six, <clears throat> my little sister was diagnosed with leukemia and she is great now. She's, she's a thriving, almost 30 year old. Thank God. Um, yes, very great. So, but uh, my sister got diagnosed with, with leukemia when I was six and you know that was a big shift just in my entire my entire life for me um things really adjusted at that point and to be honest with you i don't know if i ever readjusted my brain from that point on um yeah it's it's one of those things sorry i like i'm having a moment with that it's it's something that i come back to often and recognize how big of a placeholder it's been in all of this for me. So, so when you were, when you were um, dreaming about your future, um, having that, um, that experience as a context, what were you planning to do when you went to college? So I wanted to be, I was originally doing biochemistry and I wanted to study genetics. So I was um, always kind of on the science track with things. Um, once I got to college, I had a few moments of recognizing that I wasn't processing things properly. I started not understanding the Krebs cycle and random things that I'd been studying in chemistry for a really long time. So these processing challenges um, were something that were new to you when you went to college? Yes. Now, let me walk back one more, uh, for one more minute about, uh, about your childhood. Did you know anything about ticks and Lyme disease during the, t during the course of your childhood? 
No, I didn't actually. Um, I knew I'd heard about ticks, but I didn't know about Lyme disease. Let me put it that way, or the severity of Lyme disease. Um, I knew to be aware of them, but I didn't know how to find them, really what to look for or what I was doing. And I spent quite a bit of time outside. And I think that's one of the kind of misconceptions is that, you know, ticks are only on the East Coast, which we know is not true. So other than knowing that, that ticks existed and that they were not a good thing, you didn't know anything about ticks? No, didn't know anything. So during the course of your childhood, you weren't taking any precautions to, um, you know, use uh, any type of uh, uh, sprays or to do any kinds of checks or to remove ticks if you were to find them? Correct. So now let, let's talk about your, your, your years in college. So you, you desire to um, pursue uh, some um, scientific career and uh, you start college. And where did you go to college and what was your initial major? I went to Westminster College in Utah for the first year and a half. And that's a part of this as well. Um, I went to it for the first year and a half and then I switched to the University of Utah. Okay. And I was studying biochemistry in the honors track at Westminster and things started going downhill pretty quickly. So let's talk about what downhill means and what impact that was having on your capacity to pursue your studies. What was happening to you and what impact was it having on you uh, learning what you were seeking to learn? So looking back now is, is always a little different, but um, when I was in college, I was constantly having night sweats, like waking up, drenched and it was just a joke like it was like oh this is just what's happening you know it wasn't like it was triggering anything in me that it was a big deal that it was a problem I now know that I was being severely exposed to mold in my dormitory and that's what was triggering that for me and what started my immune system downfall subsequent prior to that I we didn't know this at this time but my childhood home also had black mold so I've had asthma since I was about 12, I woke up one morning and couldn't breathe at all, basically. And I got to the doctor and I had a 70% sat rate. I was basically white. I was admitted to the hospital for three days with severe asthma and pneumonia and was let go. So my whole life, I just was told I had asthma. And once college hit, I found out that there was mold starting to come into play and some other things that may be affecting what I was going through. So how did you discover when you went to college that the symptomology that you had been exhibiting for all those years uh, was related to mold? So I didn't know very much. I didn't know then at the time, to be honest. I had had my first major injury. I mean, I had a lot of injuries, but an injury that they gave me pain medicine for. And so everyone thought I was having an adverse reaction to the pain medicine, that I was having like cognitive issues or whatever was going on from the side effects from my pain medicine. Yes, that could have been true. But cognitively, I was starting to not remember things. I was confused a lot. I couldn't retain information without reading and writing it, um, and sometimes also hearing or seeing it. I was needing to take it in from, from multiple levels. Um, and that lasted about, I was at Westminster for about a year and a half. And during that year and a half, um, let's see, I ended up, Sorry, the timeline on this. So I was actually, during that time, in that year and a half, I was shot at at a drive-by um, during college. And I was hit with birdshot over my heart. And 
I didn't pierce my skin. I ended up with a big well. I still have some phantom pains and things, but that trauma really like changed my entire life. Um, it was a very big moment that was, I watched how the media handled things and made a really bad story out of it. I watched how that wasn't even remotely true. I watched, you know, my friends go through it. I watched someone get shot. I, you know, I got shot and it was kind of about this like, whoa. And I still can feel like my body when I think about that, I'm very neutral with it now, but I can still kind of embody what that was like and understand that that was a very big change in my brain for me. I was now threatened walking out my front door feeling. I was threatened feeling walking on the street. I was feeling, you know, a lot of things and, and to kind of tap into what we're dealing with now, it's, it's, and the civil rights movement that's going on. It was when I started to like my unlearning process of realizing that, you know, I was a white woman that walked out of my house and got shot in a drive-by. You know, I had, that was a, 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 a privileged place to be in a shooting from walking out of my house moment. And I don't need to get, you know, super, super into that now, but it was a part of my, my awakening with everything and understanding that I was catching the other side of it of like, no way you're a blonde haired, blue eyed girl from, from Salt Lake city on the East side. There's no way you got shot. And I was like, this denial was so real from someone who had never experienced what I had experienced. And at that moment, I realized on multiple levels, whether it was health, whether it was socio justice, whatever it was that I needed to start speaking up and figuring out what was going on and within my own self to be able to talk to others about it. So let's talk about what impact that traumatic event had on your health and why you believe that traumatic event was a trigger for the downward spiral of your health. So <clears throat> it caused my brain to go into like a hyper fight or flight mode. I was constantly aware of everything and could not relax. So I ended up switching schools um, shortly after that, within like the next year, I had ended up transferring um, to the University of Utah. And the reason I'm gonna get into this is because this next progression of the three years is what really changed things. There was some more added trauma. So um, once I switched schools, um, I had like a really great year with some awesome friends in a ski house that were, you know, a bunch of us girls that lived together and it was a really great time. And, um, I lived with them for about a year. And then when I moved out of there, um, I moved in with some other friends and there was another group of like seven of us in the house. Um, I had had a friend ask to move in with us that I hadn't seen in a while that I had gone to Westminster with. And so he came and lived with us and it was great. It was a really good friend of mine. And, um, sadly within, you know, about three months of, you know, a few months of him living with us, he overdosed and I found him. And in that same, thank you. It's, it's a, it's something that after it took me 10 years, honestly, it took me till about this spring to come to a place where I'm, I'm okay now. Um, and I'm really thankful for the trauma therapy in my life that was saying, you know, reminders of things to check in with myself of, of, getting to that place. And so also in that same weekend, um, so this happened on Wednesday night, but we were unaware until Friday. Thursday of that week, I was out riding my bike and I was biking down. I was biking home at night 
and I clipped my handlebar, clipped the hood of a parked car on the side of the road that was dark and I couldn't see. Um, I ended up dead stopping, turning and flying up on the windshield and shattering the windshield with my face. Um, at the time I went to the hospital after that and they didn't even put me in a neck brace. I don't even think they realized what was going on. They like stitched my lip up and sent me home because my, my teeth had gone through my lip, but hit my head, <laughs> got home that afternoon. <clears throat> and then that Friday night, another friend of mine, one of my very good friends from high school fell off a building and passed away. Those four events in three years, and especially those three in one weekend, <laughs> I, I have not been the same since. Um, yeah, I haven't been the same since. And that's when symptoms started becoming more relevant. Symptoms started becoming more prevalent. Also not understanding a brain injury properly was a big part of it. And, or being able to get the right help of people believing me, like, unless you saw me shatter that everyone looked at me like I was just fine. Cause I've looked like this, honestly, <laughs> most of the time I've been going through this stuff. So, so Rachel, you had a series of traumatic events, which ultimately had an impact on your capacity to have a healthy immune system. Why don't you talk about the connection between trauma and the immune system and the impact that this trauma had on your capacity to manage what you now know to be your tick disease? Yeah, so um, hitting my head caused my brain to go into essentially fight or flight mode. My limbic system and my prefrontal cortex went into, basically they could not focus on anything. So my ears, my balance, my eyes, nothing was focusing properly. So that in itself was causing my body to not know what was going on. And it was cross wiring and not speaking to itself correctly. So that's when I started to notice, yes, I'd been exposed to mold my whole life. I had had asthma, but that was kind of the, the brunt of it right there. Once I hit my head, it was like nothing in my brain was firing correctly in order to work. So in that case, your immune system is going to start reacting to that. Your immune system is going to try to protect you in the ways that it knows how. And your body's going to do its best. So when I was getting inflammation in certain things. I had reframed that in my mind that my body was trying to help with something, not that I was hurting. And yes, there would be times that it was hurting, but that was a big, a big mindset portion for me in that way. Um, and just in regards to the, the trauma and the immune system, trauma can be something as simple as, and I don't even want to say simple. I don't like using that word with this, but it can be something as, you lose a sale at work. Depending on how that your perception and how that hits you, your brain is going to take that a certain way. And the way you perceive that and process it, if you keep repeating that process, eventually your sales are gonna become just stressful. And I really learned that in dealing with my body was that I had to start listening to what it needed so that I could get it to where I wanted it to be. And that was a lot, you know, my immune system when I finally got to, so 2010 was when I hit my head. I did not understand that mold was really affecting me until 2016. Well, let's talk so about, yeah, let's talk about these cascading events, right? So you have, yep. you, you were dealing with mold related issues and Lyme issues, probably for most of your life and most of your childhood. 
your your immune system was either managing or not managing mold and Lyme pretty well. Then you have a series of traumatic, four traumatic events over a short window of time, three in one weekend. And now, and now you're not able to manage it anymore. Your immune system is not managing the mold and it's not managing the, the Lyme. And you now go on this downward spiral. Can you share with us what that downward spiral was like? Yes, and I also should add this. I don't know how I forgot this part. I was also diagnosed with mono during college. And this was, I can't remember the exact year on that. I, I wish I did, but um, I was falling asleep all the time at my friend's houses and everyone, it was just like normal. By the time I got tested for mono, they were like, oh, you're on, and I'm putting this in quotes, the tail end of mono doesn't exist. And so I'm like, I get that if there's like, it, with my immune system and what was going on, that wasn't what was happening. I was having a reactivation, but this doctor did not know that Epstein-Barr virus could reactivate. Right. So, or, so, or, or so, it was always, it was always active, yes. but your immune system was managing it, right? So you have, you have all the signs that you're suffering from Lyme disease objectively, but you're mm -hmm. dealing with medical professionals who don't understand the illness. And as a consequence, you're going through greater and greater challenges and you that now come to this cascading series of events, which now result in you getting really sick after, after this trauma. So now talk to us about all of the different um, types of illnesses you suffered because you now have an immune system that's no longer functioning. So growing up, I had strep my entire life. I had strep like every two months. And that's an indicator now that I know for some Epstein-Barr things and chronic Epstein-Barr. I also found out um, recently that my mother had Epstein-Barr when I was a baby. Let's fast forward to the post-traumatic events, right? Your, your, your immune system was having its challenges all during, its, all during your childhood. You're having your, your challenges during your pre-college um, life, but you're largely coming back from it, right? You go to college, you, 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 suffer, uh, you suffer some traumatic events, and now you're immune compromised. And as a consequence of being immune compromised, a number of different illnesses start to take, take off. You said Epstein-Barr took off when you, were, yep. um, when, you were, um, when you were in college. And you said there yes. were a number of other things that were happening now because you could no longer, um, you, you were immunocompromised, you're no longer capable of, of, of protecting your body from mold exposure and other things. So how does this now turn into a series of cascading events where you really are sick uh, you know, to a chronic level after, um, after college? So this is like the trauma thing. So I'm actually going to have to go back on you guys because there's a big piece of this that I left out. So in 2013, I was, um, I had a stomach ulcer that hit a blood vessel and I ended up in the ICU. So I was in May of 2013. Um, I had basically coffee grounds coming out of both ends. I was very, very sick. And that is where I ended up getting, I had, I had a GI bleed. I rebled overnight, so I had to be intubated. And then I had two blood transfusions. So they don't know where my Lyme came from. I don't know if it's from the, Lyme, the blood transfusions. I don't know if it's from growing up outdoors. I have, I have zero idea where my Lyme came from. And I honestly never tried to find it because I was going insane trying to figure out where it came from rather than understanding what I needed to do in order to heal. Um, so that event in 2013 
cascaded my doctors. That's what happened then. So that's when all the doctors started. I had a great GI doctor that was, she was so busy, but she was adamant with helping me. And without her direction, I have no idea where I would be right now. She's the one who said, and I'm not going to, I'm, I'm not going to give her name, but she looked at me and said, I'm not allowed to tell you this because of our, our pharmaceutical contracts. Take turmeric, start taking natural things to help with your GI problems because none of the stuff we're giving you is working. So before throwing me on like any sort of like massive long-term medication, she told me to try that first. And that's what changed my life because it changed the complete trajectory of how I viewed dealing with any of this and understanding how powerful food was after the GI bleed in May by February, they started, they hadn't looked into any food allergies minus like the environmental ones that I had until like nine months later. So then I started getting stuff done and they were like, let's see if we eliminate wheat, what happens? So I took out gluten and within 10 days I had lost 10 pounds and my migraines were gone. Mold and gluten are in wheat. They feed off of each other. So I understood that correlation um, eventually. Next, I removed nuts because I was, did a nut panel. They told me I was allergic to nuts. Knowing what I know now, I would have asked the severity and what that means and what that means because I cut all nuts out of my diet, which in turn caused me to have anaphylactic symptoms to some of them. Um, by May, I was on an elimination diet and that's when more answers started coming. And then since then, it's been a food journey like no other. And so a lot of my healing has been through food and managing my diet and understanding the effect that that has. So talk to us about how your, your symptoms developed after the college experience and then now this GI experience that you had uh, and um, how doctors were reacting to these, these various symptoms. So the, the best way to put it with the doctors is that they weren't looking at it holistically. Yes, I was seeing all of the doctors. I was seeing the internal medicine, the allergists. You know, I was trying to see a neurologist. I was doing all of these things. And even the neurologist wasn't addressing my brain injury. She was just addressing the, the, you know, the peripheral neuropathy and things that I was having and wanting to do spinal taps and things like that. And so um, I actually had a spinal tap and ended up moving to Colorado like three days later because I was exhausted. I was just like, I, in 2015, I was like, I am spent from this. No one in Utah understands what's going on. I need a break. I need to try to figure out space away from everything on my own, how to process what's happening to my body. Because remember at this point, I still didn't even know in 2015 that it was mold, Lyme, Epstein-Barr and what they could do. I just knew I wasn't doing well. Um, so you had to go on a journey. You had to leave Utah and you had to go somewhere else to get answers because you weren't getting them in Utah. Yes. And how'd that work for you? <laughs> Knowing what I know now, I would have done it with a little bit different support, but I, I, I wouldn't change anything now. It's what led me to where I am and I'm, I'm 90% symptom free now. So I look back and I'm like, there's no way I would have changed what I did. But I definitely well, you, think you certainly would have changed the pace at which it happened, right? I honestly, I honestly don't know. I would like to say that I would like to have gotten better sooner, but I had to learn a lot about all of these things that I had been through traumatically, brain injury, what that entails, what Lyme disease, Epstein-Barr and mold are, how they interact, 
how they interact with, you know, my genes and what I've got going on. And so, because you can't just say you have Lyme disease and then start treating it. It's, it's everybody is so different. You have to understand kind of what's going on with you at a basis before you can attack that. I was detoxing and doing so many things, but it wasn't helpful because I wasn't, my body wasn't processing that properly. So, well, and um, you, and you weren't, you weren't working with a diagnosis, right? I mean, you just had symptom right. after symptom after symptom after symptom, and you had a whole bunch of specialists looking, you know, looking at this through their prism and no one was looking at you holistically, right? Yeah. And at that time I had another girlfriend um, who was very sick and she was going through similar things as me and she had Lyme. And that's when I found out about DNRS was in, was about when I was originally going through that is she did it and it helped her a ton. Well, but so, wait a so, so let's, let's talk about that. So, so yep. let's talk about the friend who had Lyme disease and whether or not there are any parallels between your experience and her experience and what role did that play in ultimately leading you to your Lyme diagnosis? So I'm going to shout out Jen cause she is an amazing woman, Jennifer Jaden. She, um, she truly has changed my life with this. Um, the parallels were, I didn't really know too much what was going on with her other than she was struggling cognitively, she physically was struggling, like she was in a wheelchair going to the airport, certain things. And I just heard, she was like, I didn't know what was wrong with me for so long. And then we figured it out and I was able to get better. And she and I have connected off and on over the last several years that I was going through things, but it wasn't until the last like eight months probably that I reached back out to her pretty significantly being like, I think my limbic system has got something going on and I really want to do the program that you did. Can you give me some information? And the, the kicker for me was she said, Lyme isn't even a part of my vocabulary anymore, really. And that's because it's, the, the symptomology is just, it's not there anymore for her. And the, and the issues from it are nowhere near as severe as they were. We both were, you know, I, I go in my closet and I've got a walker, I've got canes, I've got crutches, I've got you name it to help me get around. And I thankfully no longer need those anymore. And I'm in the process of, of getting rid of them. But um, really aligning with Jen on that was a big, big moment for me in understanding that I wasn't alone. And the term it's all in your head is very relative when it comes to neuroplasticity because it technically, it's not all in my head, but your brain plays a huge portion in the processing of chronic illness and emotions and your immune system. We're going to get to that in a minute. Matt is going to want to explore that with you, but let's stay with, let's stay with this portion of your journey. So when are you ultimately diagnosed with Lyme disease and how was that diagnosis ultimately provided to you? So I was diagnosed with Lyme May 17th, 2019. And I remember the date because I was at my, <laughs> I was at the Broad Museum in LA and staring at one of my favorite paintings. And it was one of those moments that I was like, felt like I was in the right time, right place to process something that I'd been looking for for a long time and answer to why I felt the way that I did. Um, and the reason I got that was because I requested that my doctor order another one. I have been very adamant on, I'm lucky to have found a doctor that she doesn't exactly know Lyme disease in and out or mold toxicity, but she takes what I say and understands the research that I'm doing and brings to her and has helped me figure it out. 
because it works with my insurance. And it's been a very massive help for me in that way. Yeah. So getting that diagnosis was, and honestly, at the point when I got it, it was kind of like, oh, okay. Like it was like, yeah, I know I've been, I, yeah, I know. And so my doctor's response was, okay, go on 30 days of doxy. And I was like, nope, I just said no. And she was like, okay. And asked me why. And I was like, well, because I know that I've had this going on for a while wasn't detected. There's certain issues going on. And I don't think that another 30 days of antibiotics after I had just gotten off of six weeks of dealing with the antibiotics for shingles was the right move for my gut because I know the gut brain connection and all of that. So she agreed with me. She was fine. Um, I ended up changing my diet. I removed sugar and some other things that, and corn that were really significant that I hadn't removed before. And last summer, I really just hunkered down and was like, if I didn't feel well enough to be somewhere, I didn't go. If I, I didn't push it. I just made sure that I really took care of myself. August came around and I was in Ohio and felt something on my head and I was bitten by another tick. And so I sat there in this moment of like, okay, you didn't treat it before. You're not going to take antibiotics right now. You know that. So what are we going to do here? And that's when I started really digging into neuroplasticity. I just, I dug into to Dr. Rawls and his um, herbal methods to see kind of what he was offering. And I started correlating all of the things that I had been doing to help myself, my symptoms, who I'd been talking to, and really finding out why my body specifically was reacting this way. So Rachel, most most doctors focus on mental health related illnesses before a Lyme diagnosis, and then they pivot to attacking and killing bacteria once they have a positive Lyme diagnosis. But really, it's way more than that, as you've noted from your research and studies. So can you talk to us about how you chose to treat your Lyme, knowing that it's more than just killing the bacteria, and there's also a brain component to it as well? Yes, absolutely. So... Um... I, I very much experienced the mental health portion of this. So when I was explaining that I got put on those pain pills in college for the, for the injury, I was misdiagnosed as bipolar at that time because they were giving me such ups and downs and all over. That was not even remotely accurate. And I was having anxiety and depression, but that was as a result of my environmental exposure to mold. So mental health has played a huge part for me. I was told my whole life, basically, you have anxiety, you have chronic depression, that's what you're going to deal with. And so <clears throat> along the course of the last, you know, eight to 10 years, I started doing this research of, you know, my doctors are telling me this is who I am, but I don't feel that way. And so am I with the right doctors? Am I talking to the right people? Is there a different kind of doctor that I need to know about that I don't know about? And so that being said, the mental health portion of it for me was for a long time. It was dealing with mental health and with the food portion. So I, I had a very separate, like trying to get my happy back, as I like to say, and then also managing my food to a point to where I was functional because I recognized that food was actually the way that I could function. And if I removed dairy and gluten and things, then I didn't have certain swelling and certain other symptoms and my brain fog was better and things like that. So I started really looking into that and understanding the gut um, and that your gut and your brain have 
they have so many neurons and they talk to each other and the bacteria in your gut will affect your brain. And so, yeah, most docs will pivot just straight to the killing and getting rid of things, which I did do. I was killing it. I was trying to, you know, um, bind it and taking activated charcoal and doing all of these things, but I was missing steps. So I was killing it and binding it, but then it wasn't going anywhere. And I was ending up with a very high toxic load because I was detoxing faster than I, I, or I was killing faster than I was actually detoxing. And that for me was a big portion of it because when I was killing more than I was detoxing, I was having significant cognitive problems. And so I slowly started kind of unpacking this. Um, Dr. Casey Holland was a huge help for me in understanding mold, Lyme, and Epstein-Barr connecting, and she provides amazing resources for free online. Um, and then she also has some that you can pay for as well. Um, but she really has changed my entire way that I looked at things because she had been there and I understood in following her that she was addressing people from a point of their root cause of things, not treating everyone like you have Lyme, you have mold, this is what you do which is what I kind of encountered before. It was like, you kill it, you bind it, you get it out. And it doesn't really work like that. Um, it really doesn't. And so in pivoting to the killing, I started to recognize that I didn't need to really be killing things at this point in time, that I needed to take a step back and start healing my gut because my gut was having significant issues. Um, Rachel, real quick, before we jump into healing your gut, what steps did yeah. you take to kill the Lyme bacteria? So I honestly didn't do much because I was on seven different antibiotics for staff. And so other than taking, you know, a couple different herbs, I didn't go much into the massive Lyme killing. I was more focused on getting the mold out of my body because that was massively affecting everything for me. So I started focusing on that at first and I was um, doing infrared sauna almost every single day. Some days I didn't kill or bind and I was just detoxing because I recognized that my body was having high swelling or a high toxic load or something like that going on that day. I really had to learn how to understand what each symptom was doing to me. And it caused cognitively for me to not only was my brain in fight or flight from my brain injury, but I was also creating neural pathways that were responding only to mold, Epstein-Barr, and Lyme. So everything I was doing was searching for one of those things to correlate why I was feeling the way that I was feeling. So you still did take some steps, though, between the antibiotics you were on for other purposes and the herbs to kill the bacteria from a microbial standpoint. Yeah, I, I haven't done much of that, to be honest with you. So I, I have not done, I was diagnosed a year ago, and I have, I've been managing. So since then, I've had two bouts of chronic pancreatitis um, that have landed me in the hospital or at home, as well as shingles and staph. So I haven't, my body has not been able to actually treat Lyme in that, in that capacity. Um, I physically have not been able to. I was planning to start doing that um, kind of like the end of May, but I ended up doing this other program before that that has given me significant symptom relief to where 
I can start tackling some of these other things a little bit differently. But so before, yeah, which is, we, it, it's weird saying that because it feels like it's out of order in the way that we always hear about Lyme and herbal remedies and things like that. But no, but Rachel, you hit it on the head. Yeah. Everybody responds differently to Lyme. So what works for me won't work for you. And that's why this podcast is so helpful because everybody's journey can provide a little bit of help and assistance to somebody to try something different to see what helps them. Because there is no one size fits all treatment for Lyme disease especially when there are other factors like Epstein-Barr virus and mold toxicity and a brain injury and, and any other overlapping symptoms or conditions people may have. So before we get into the, the, what really helped you the most you know, re more recently, let's talk about the gut-brain axis. And you mentioned the connection between the gut and the brain and, and the effect that has on the body as a whole. So can you talk to us more about what you found from studying that and then what steps you did to treat your gut once you started to realize that connection? Absolutely. So um, I always was told that neurotransmitters were in your brain, period. Like that was kind of the way that I functioned was that these neural pathways are here, talks to the rest of my body. Coming to find out your gut has so many neurotransmitters and that bacteria communicates with your brain. So altering the bacteria in your gut completely can alter your brain. And so I started looking into things of finding out that I had candida, I had SIBO, I had leaky gut. I was going into, you know, I was getting endoscopies left and right, but that didn't matter because they weren't looking for the right things um, in that regard. I kind of switched over to a holistic. Once I ended up out of the Western medicine system fully, I started integrating other practices. So I've always helped done things both Western and Eastern medicine with this. And I've oscillated between what would help me at a certain time um, and what didn't. I'm sorry, I'm hitting brain fog again. Can you hit me with that question one more time? You're all good, Rachel. So you, you, you were speaking about how the gut-brain connection is very important in healing and how once you realize yep. that you took certain measures to strengthen your gut health. So what were yes. those steps you took to strengthen your gut health and then sort of have a positive impact on your brain as well as a result of that? So that same doctor that told me about turmeric, I had those stomach ulcers that were bleeding and issues. She also had told me to take licorice to heal that. So I actually switched from being on omeprazole every single day of my life to taking licorice, which healed my, and bone broth, which healed my stomach ulcers. And ultimately I didn't need them anymore. I, at that point, that was kind of a, I've been taking licorice for years off and on. So if my stomach started acting up, that was kind of my, my healing for that. Um, also managing with foods, understanding how sugar affected my body, alcohol, um, what gluten and certain inflammatory foods were doing and understanding that inflammation isn't bad. Inflammation created by certain things causing other issues is what can be bad. Inflammation is just trying to protect your body. Um, and so that gut brain connection for me was I started healing my gut and I started feeling better. I started cognitively feeling better, started, you know, recognizing that my quality of life was coming back, but I wasn't getting to a clear place in my head. I couldn't quite cognitively still get there. I was very confused and couldn't retain information, had trouble in conversations, recalling things, um, so Rachel, probably a silly question, but I don't know the answer to this. And there may be people listening who want to explore 
licorice to see if that can help some of their stomach issues they may be having because oftentimes they go hand in hand with Lyme as well. So how did you, where did you buy the licorice and was it a pill? I mean, what's, what was it? An, how did you ingest it? And it's probably a silly question, but just yeah. to expand upon that a little bit for us. Yeah. And I also disclaimer, like make sure you check with your doctor before any of this, because it is licorice can interact with quite a few things. Um, so just double check on that, but licorice, um, I just got it at, um, whole foods. I get DGL and I get the sugar-free kind. It's a chewable tablet and I have never actually chewed it. I don't like it. I break it up into fourths and I took it that way. Um, if you can chew it and swallow it great because then it coats your esophagus as well. Um, which is massively helpful to have that protection on the esophagus as well as the stomach. But the licorice can be purchased just at a health food store, same as your supplements and vitamins. And now anyway, taking quality to make sure it's from a reputable brand. And now taking this licorice had a, had a positive impact on many of your symptoms. And I can't help but wonder, do you think that, that treating your gut also has a, had a positive impact on your immune system? Because not only does your gut interact with your brain, but it also is responsible for a portion of your immune system as well, right? So do you think that this was sort of twofold where it had a good, it had a good interaction with your brain, but it also helped strengthen your immune system that was weakened for so long? Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. Because my body wasn't um, fighting off excess inflammation anymore that it didn't need to right now. Um, yeah, absolutely. And oftentimes, you know, Lyme symptoms are are a result of your immune system. It has to, you know, it's either either an overreactive immune system in certain cases for certain things that it shouldn't be, and it's, it's an underactive immune system where it should be. So it sounds like if you balance out your gut health, it could help potentially help modulate your immune system and also have a positive impact on your brain. So you took these steps, you made some great progress, but you still had some cognitive problems going on. And is this what mm -hmm. led you to this game changer that you found recently? Was this sort of like, I need to find the next step. What else can I do to continue to improve my health? And then you found this next great game changer that you found? Yes. Yeah, so in, in a way, so I actually had been turned on to functional neurology last fall. So I had seen like functional medicine doctors and things like that, but I didn't know that there was a functional neurologist. Um, a friend of mine here, Katie, thank you, Katie, because you've saved my life. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get teary because this it's true. The last six months of my life, I, I, if you would have told me six months ago, I would be where I am today. I, I wouldn't have believed you probably. I would have wanted to believe you, but I wouldn't have. So I got invited to a, um, around Thanksgiving, I got invited to hear Dr. Carla Mellenbacher speak via my friend Katie, who worked for her. And at this appointment, they had a raffle for a consultation with her and I won. And that moment was the defining change of my life because she sat down with me and she actually went through, she's had this before, she's dealt with it. So she's aware of what it's like, but also she sat me down and finally did testing to see what was wrong from my brain injury. So my eyes and my ears were totally off. My body felt like it was in motion for 10 years. It never stopped. So I learned that from her. And then, you know, as we, we all, most of us deal with Lyme is the financial situation of it is challenging. And so I, I saw her in December and then been working with my therapist on some, some limbic system and cognitive things since then. 
but I had also right after I saw her, right after I saw her, I ended up in the hospital again with chronic pancreatitis. So I ended up seeing her and then having to go on a very big recovery for the next three months and couldn't really be there to do what I needed to do. So about a month ago, um, I, my, I had also, so in conjunction of seeing her, I had learned a lot about the limbic system and some other things. And so I had known that um, the program that Jen did also dealt with the limbic system. So I was like, you know what? I can do that at home. Um, that's a start. I should just start there and figure out if that's a good fit. So I ended up completing DNRS in, do you want me to get into this now? I just want to double check. We're good. Yes, please. Absolutely. Okay. DNRS, um, I, I got DNRS in March and I knew I really needed to commit the time and the days to it and um, the pandemic hit and some other things. And so I, I tried to take care of my mental health and I was also dealing with another mold exposure. So I was having lots of symptoms in the last two months. I was having anxiety attacks, panic attacks. I was just it felt like I had relapsed completely. Honestly, I was a mess. I got pancreatitis again, all of these things. So I finally was able to sit down and I, I sat down with my DNRS stuff and with, by day three, it's a, by day three of the program, I was having significant cognitive repairs to the point where I was retaining information. I was remembering memories that I had forgotten from my whole life. Um, I was looking around at things as I enjoy this, not I'm threatened by this, or I need to protect myself from this. Is this going to cause me to react? Um, and so in conjunction with, with DNRS, because DNRS was not enough for me personally, um, it gave me, and, and DNRS is a six month program. Let me be very clear about that. After a week, I was recognizing that it was, I was having more brain injury problems and my limbic system had been reset for the most part. I still need to do things to maintain it, but I didn't need to do the full six month hour a day like everyone else in the program. Um, and that's because I have access to Dr. Mellenbacher. And so I ended up setting an appointment with her and she gave me some metronome exercises and some left, just left and right brain things to work on that started to help my brain and my body start speaking again and being in the same space. Um, Rachel, real quick, so, sorry to interrupt, but for, I just want to put this in, in, in context a little bit. So many people with Lyme disease are stuck in that fight or flight mode of their brain where everything seems to be a threat. They're always, they're always on, you know, high alert. And it sounds like with this DNRS is really the it's brain retraining. And within a short period of time, you were able to see a relief from that fight or flight mode in your brain. And then you followed up with this functional neurologist who gave you some additional exercises. So can you describe first number one, what exactly it's like to take DNRS? Because we've had other podcast guests who have had major success with that as well. And we want to explain for our listeners what really it is and what it's like to actually be a part of DNRS and, and take that, that particular training for lack of a better word to describe it. So for DNRS, it stands for the Dynamic Neural Retraining System. And to be honest, I did not align with it whatsoever. The whole feel of it was not for me. 
However, the information being provided was for me. And so I personally didn't watch the DVDs. I, I had a hard time listening to her voice. Um, I was having a hard time with the speed of her voice. I was having a hard time with the graphics on the TV. <laughs> so I sat there and I, I, at one moment, it never crossed my mind not to do it. I, they offer a transcription book of the DVDs word for word. So I was like, I'm at least going to try that. So I actually ended up reading DNRS and it's a multi-step program to reset your limbic system. Um, it starts, you know, you're, you have to tell your body to stop what it's doing, remind it that it's safe, and then create new neural pathways to understanding that it's safe. Because that fight or flight mode is very real. And when you've had to be, when you've had to be so conscious or that you get a diagnosis that you might have a chronic disease or one that's not well unknown, your natural, your brain is going to try to protect you in every way you've ever tried to protect yourself. It's going to go back down those pathways and saying, we are in danger. How do we, how do we stay safe? And so for me, staying safe was I'm scared of this. I'm allergic to this food. Your body can't handle this food. There were certain things my body was telling me that I needed to really kind of listen to. So, and I want to say there's one other piece of this that I have done. So I've done DNRS, my functional neurologist, and then I also have worked with my vital life and her name is Lindsay. And I have been directing most people to Lindsay now rather than to DNRS because Lindsay provides a one-on-one -on -one program or a group program. She provides a lot of different options, but also gives other neuroplasticity tools that aren't the, DNRS is very one size fits all. It's like, do these steps, adjust the words for you, and then keep doing this for an hour a day for six months and you should be better. It took me three days and my food allergies were basically gone. And I was, I went from walking with a cane the week before to running in a week, which was a massive shift. And not many people see that big of it, but it's not unheard of in DNRS for that to happen. And a lot of that was because I had done my limbic research prior to this. And I understood that my brain, there was something in my brain that I could possibly shift. I just needed the tools in order to understand how to do that. And so my vital life is actually where I have kind of, I've stepped away from DNRS and like I'll occasionally call the script to my brain if I'm like really feeling the fight or flight mode. Um, I will sometimes call that script, but I usually do what Lindsay's My Vital Life stuff does because she's given me tools that are, I don't have to go through that whole step process in order to achieve that elevated state out of the fight or flight response. And it's really understanding activating that parasympathetic nervous system and understanding how to do that. Um, and I know a lot with Lyme, we hear about the vagus nerve and things like that. And I would say gut, brain, vagus have been my three keys to healing and understanding how they all are are correlated. So um, just a small little smidgen for this. My GI tract, I got in a car accident three years ago in Colorado by a road rage driver hitting the back of our car. And I was twisted. And what happened is it pulled my rib cage out of alignment, which pulled my diaphragm and subsequently pinched my vagus nerve. So in the middle of the brain injury and all this other stuff, 
my now connection for my body was just not, my gut was not hearing any of the right information from my brain. They were on two completely separate planes. And so when I did this limbic system retraining, I understood that my brain was just, and my body, they were separate, but they were both trying to protect me in the ways that they knew how. My gut was trying to protect me from the, the things that were causing it to be inflammatory and not make me feel good, as, and the bacteria that was in there. And my brain was doing everything in its power to stay in fight or flight mode because that's where it was used to being. So I had to learn what it was like to feel calm. Until three weeks ago, I had not felt a sense of peace in over a decade. Wow. So, so Rachel, this is, yeah. this is all really great information. And I'm, I'm sorry to keep asking you in detail these, these steps. No, but please do. The first one, you explained the NRS very well, and thank you for that. But then you, you also mentioned that before we get to the third step, which is the My Vital Plan or the, uh, the, this, this last piece of it, mm -hmm. you, your functional neurologist gave you some exercises to do that supplemented the DNRS. So what were those exercises like and how did they help you? Yeah, so um, hers were not so much to supplement DNRS, but to correlate what I did with DNRS and my brain injury. Um, because my eyes, like when it would get dark, my eyes would shake and have what's called um, accommodative spasm and also convergence where my eyes, if I, I wear bifocals now from this and basically when I look at a short distance, my eyes go cross-eyed and when I look far, my eyes try to go cross-eyed. They, they aren't, weren't on the same page. So she gave me exercises um, to follow like certain dots on colored patterns and things in order to connect that. And I was doing that. I would wake up in the morning and that was the first thing I would do. And what had happened is I basically stopped reading. I had stopped doing a lot of things because they were very uncomfortable for me. And after reading the DNRS book and like I went from reading that book, then I put in the DVDs and I could watch them with no problem. And I was like, okay, there's something going on here. My brain is trying to connect these pathways in order to calm down, but I don't know how. So my, friend, my neurologist said, well, we're going to try these few exercises. So one was the metronome and I just, I tapped to a metronome for three minutes. Um, I do some spine exercises as well. Um, and then I've also done some research with the vagus nerve and um, working with a physical therapist and under, that understands manual manipulation and the vagus nerve very well. Um, Dr. Missy, she's been great. We actually, and she's just helped me from what she posts online and recommending getting a ball to me. I mean, there are people out there that are willing to help you. I don't expect any doctor or any person online to give me an answer to feel better. But if you are truly coming from a place of understanding, wanting to feel better, and it's looking for connection and not validating what you're going through. What you're going through is valid, but looking for that connection of how can, has someone else healed or how is what they're doing? How does that relate to me? That is when I started uncovering all these answers and these people and now have this team of people that are able to help me get back to better than where I was before. I mean, I'm better now than I have probably been in my entire life, to be honest with you. So Rachel, before we get that, I keep going backwards and I'm sorry, but this is, again, this is no, fascinating. It's... 
So can you explain for us this, you, I think you called it the metronome, which is something you worked with on your, with your functional neurologist. What, what exactly is that and how did that work for you? So it was just to a, a beat of 50 beats per minute. And I basically just set my hand on the table and I tap my fingers to each beat. And there's different patterns you can do to kind of activate your brain in different ways. Um, but that, that was the metronome there was just tapping to that. And it's that conscious tapping. Um, I do a lot of breathing with that as well, focusing on my breathing, aligning with that. Um, and what else did she give me? Let's see. There's, yeah, the, I would say the two that have helped me the most are the eye following exercises and the metronome. Those two kind of helped me realign. And then after that, I would read in the morning for about 10 to 15 minutes to activate what I had just, you know, kind of activated, I guess. So we, we have heard about that and other guests have called this tapping. So that, that has been actually very successful with many of our past podcast guests. So now we're finally at the point of this third piece, which is, I think you referred to her name was Lindsay and uh, My Vital. Is that correct? And can you walk us through yep. now in more detail what that is and how that really, that final piece has brought you to a point in your life where you're better than ever? Yes. So Lindsay provides a space for people who have completed DNRS or some sort of brain training program. And she provides, it's a group. And um, I just did, she offered a free week about two or three weeks ago. And so I did that group. And the one exercise that she gave me in that hour I was on the phone with her, I have used every day since that I've needed it. And it's taken me, so she offers group settings. Let's see. She offers group settings. She offers one-on-one. -on -one. She offers specific plans tailored to you. And then she also offers a system. It's not DNRS, but she has her own five-day My Vital Life in order to get your limbic system back on track and get out of that fight or flight mode. She's been sick as well, so she's dealt with this and, and also gotten out of it. Um, yeah, so that's been a huge key because it's been a support group post-DNRS. DNRS has their own group online and things like that. But when I completed it, I was really struggling feeling like I was having a lot of anxiety around doing the one hour of exercise a day because that included with the other stuff I was doing, I was spending three to five hours a day on neuroplasticity and my brain, but I wasn't actually living, I felt like, and getting to really utilize what I was learning. So they helped me tailor it so that I didn't have to do the hour of DNRS, but still had other tools to use in order to keep improving. Rachel, can you describe for us what that, what that tool is that you learned in that one hour session with Lindsay mm -hmm. that you do now on a daily basis that has helped you significantly? What exactly is that exercise she had provided to you? So she did a visualization of it's breath work. So we breathed in for seven seconds and breathed out and you know, exhaled for five. While we were doing that, we did a visualization of a couple different things of syncing up our breath and our heart rate. So, and, and creating an optimal heart rate variability. So we started breathing and we breathe for a couple minutes and then, oh, after we shake out the whole, shake out your whole body. And then we start this breathing pattern and the breathing pattern you start by visualizing your heart filling up and then releasing. And as the breathing goes on, you start incorporating colors. So you incorporate a red that is invigorating and inspiring and 
really kind of fuels you. And you do the same thing. You breathe it in through your heart and out, push that color out through your body. After you do that for a little bit of time, then you add in the color yellow, which is supposed to represent your parasympathetic nervous system. It creates a different feeling within the body. And those will run in parallel as you're doing this breathing exercise. And a few minutes of doing this, and once you come out of it, you've synced up your heart and your breath and activated your parasympathetic and elevated your state. So when I, after I do that exercise, it takes me about five minutes. Every color is brighter around me. Things look a little bit different. I start noticing things that I maybe didn't notice exactly the way I did before. And it is a complete perception change. And it's fascinating to me that we can do this. We have the access to do this. It takes practice, but we do have access to this. And what works for me in that way won't work for everyone else because of how my brain has worked and what I've been through. But neuroplasticity is available for everyone. Rachel, for those listening who want to learn more about this and want to engage Lindsay to go down this path to see if this could be helpful for them, how can they get in touch with Lindsay and, and how would you recommend they contact her? So Lindsay's Instagram is my vital side. That's M Y V I T A L S I D E. And you can DM her there. She's got a link to her website and everything on there. Um, if you don't have Instagram, let me get you her um, website really quick so that I can make sure you have that. Um, it's linktree-myvitalside. Great. Now, just to put this into perspective for everybody listening, I mean, you look great. You sound great. You have such positive energy just, just I mean, coming out of you. you. You know, this has been an excellent interview. So can you describe for our listeners, you kind of touched on that six months, a year ago, you were in a wheelchair. You could barely walk. You were in chronic pain. You were having horrible leg spasms that you were sharing on Instagram that we actually reshared and it broke our hearts to see that. And here you are today, a different person. So can you help us put that into perspective to where you were and where you are now as a result of all these things that you've done? Yes. So uh, I can even say at the beginning of May, I was still struggling with with a lot of things. So I went from, I was never fully in a wheelchair, but I had a walker and I had canes. I used a cane for almost everything. And the option to not do the wheelchair was because I was just staying home a lot of the time and having help with other things. If I needed a little more independence, then I definitely would have, have gone that route. Um, but I was in a place where I could avoid that for now. Um, I've got a great roommate who's been by my side for most of this. And so for me, the, even a month and a half ago, I was having severe pancreatitis, panic attacks almost every day, um, fatigue, leg spasms, brain fog, upset stomach, body pain, joint pain, um, swelling all of a sudden out of nowhere with my joints, um, eye flutters, peripheral neuropathy, um, tingling all over my body from different places that people couldn't figure out. I basically just had all of these symptoms. And after completing this brain training program, my entire life has switched from what can I do to what do I want to do? And that in itself is a very big shift when you've been in the mindset of food allergies and certain things. So after completing DNRS, um, 
for those of you who are familiar with this, I was allergic to gluten, dairy, nuts, avocados, melons, garbanzo beans, peas, sesame. Um, I couldn't do sugar or alcohol um, and a few other things. Basically, I had to cut out all fruit at one point for candida. Um, I couldn't do um, soluble. I had to do soluble versus insoluble fiber for a while. I've basically had to do or learn about all these different foods and how they affected my body in that way. And in completing DNRS and these other programs, I now can eat whatever I want, whenever I want in moderation. And that is a key that I learned. And it's been something I'm still not totally free from all of this. I'm about 80 to 90% symptom free. I'm running again. I'm working out every day. Um, I've been able to be down at the protests here, walking 10 miles a day with no problem. And I, I frequently look around and I'm just, I almost feel like I'm not in my own body because I am to a place that I honestly never thought I would get to again. I thought that I, I wanted to, and I was always willing to, but I never thought that I would. And my friends are noticing a massive difference. My family, everyone is just like, you are a different person. And I truly am. I mean, I have been so protecting myself and so scared of everything because I felt like I had to be, and I was rightfully so at one point in time that served a point and purpose. But in carrying on, I've recognized that a lot of my symptoms were a result of my limbic system misfiring and creating these pathways that, you know, a lot of times, like, I don't look at side effects and symptoms of things anymore. I go by how I feel and then talk to my, now my teams because I was blocking my own way a little bit in the way that I was thinking. And I didn't recognize that. I didn't know that because I didn't know that I could change it. And so I really want to offer this as hope to people that are out there that are really struggling and take the time. And that's why I said, like, I don't think I would change this timeline because I really had to learn a lot of these things for DNRS to have the effect that it did as quickly as it did for me. That being said, DNRS can help you and can be a six month thing that you do and go through this and don't have to go through the two years of it on your own that I was doing to understand what's going on. So you have to find what works for you, but I just don't want someone to hear this and think, I did DNRS, DNRS, it doesn't work for me. I don't have an answer. There are still other ways to get help in the neuroplasticity realm from that as well. So Rachel, you've shared with us a really powerful and long journey. And, um, and I, I think it's really interesting the way you're characterizing the journey because although it was painful, you wouldn't do it any other way. And I think that's because uh, you... Um, you've become a very different and a more beautiful person as a consequence of going through this journey. Yeah. So tell us, um, tell us about what has inspired you to do doing your outreach by, uh, you know, by your beautiful Instagram and, uh, and by doing podcasts like this, what has caused you despite having all the challenges that you had to step out of all of those challenges and to try to help out other people who are going through the challenges that you've been facing. I don't want anyone to have to go through the 10 years plus that I went through of this. Um, I, I don't, I, 
once I connected through the Instagram community about all of this is when my life changed. And when I started hearing people talk about what was going on, because you can't find information really elsewhere on it. You can, but it's either outdated or one-sided or certain things. And so in speaking up, I wanted to give a voice for people that are underrepresented. I recognized that I had a chance to start talking about things from a perspective that I could offer not just what I'm doing and how I'm going to get better, but really looking at yourself and the root cause of why you maybe are dealing with this emotionally, mentally, physically, and knowing that you're not alone and that there are steps you can take, but it does take time. And so to really be patient with yourself and understanding that learning and unlearning these things is a process. And just to be there as support for others who are going through it. And I'm really clear with people. If I can't like my Instagram is not a place to just come and like emotionally dump. It's a place for you to come and it's a safe place for you to be emotional and have those moments. But the, the space I created was to ask questions and to be, to ask uncomfortable questions, to ask the things that you might feel silly asking in a forum, or I've tried all these things and I feel hopeless. Can you help me? And whether I'm able to connect you with another resource, help you myself, or just offer you a moment of understanding that you're not alone, those things change the game when you're dealing with chronic illness or any sort of chronic issue that's going on. And it applies to your whole life too. Honestly, it applies to your whole life, if I'm being real. This root cause stuff applies to everything. So if you're in work, you're having a hard time in work, what is the root cause that's causing this stress of work? And get to that, not this person's annoying me at the job right now, this person's bothering me. It's like, okay, why is that question bothering me? Is it the person or is it the question? Is it the situation or is it the circumstance? And just adjusting those things really, really changed how I perceive this and how I'm able to help people. So now I have to ask you the final question that we ask all of our guests. And because you've already given us a less than traditional approach to how you dealt with your last tick bite, I'm really interested to hear your answer to this question. If God forbid one of your family members came to you and said to you that they were right now removing a tick from their leg, what advice would you give them so they wouldn't have to go on a terrible Lyme disease journey? I would definitely recommend that they save the tick and send it in for testing. That is number one. I would have done that had the tick not fallen off my head and I couldn't find it. It was tiny. So definitely send it into somewhere like Igenix or somewhere like that that can do um, the Lyme testing. And then I personally recommend getting with a functional neurologist that is also an LLMD or working with one of both because you are going to need some sort of limbic or cognitive thing as well with this. Your brain is going to need to be addressed along this line. It's not just the body. Your brain is a huge portion of this. And so making sure that when you, you know, it might not say that you have a Lyme diagnosis, but being aware that from that tick bite, if you don't get a Lyme diagnosis from it, just being aware that if you start having symptoms down the road, that you need to kind of bring in the brain piece, and the body piece. And if you can find someone to do that, great, both great. I feel lucky to have found that. But if I know that that's kind of a rare thing, it's important to find 
a naturopath or functional doctor as well as a neurologist or functional neurologist in order to correlate what's happening in your body. Thank you for listening to the Tech Bootcamp interview with our guest, Rachel Roller. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Rachel Roller and her tick disease journey, please visit her Instagram at Roland with the homies. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate if you have any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review or rating on iTunes or our website. Thank you for listening.